Good morning. How is everyone this morning? You awake? Raise your hand if you've had coffee. Okay, I can count on y'all being awake, so that's good. Um, For those of you who weren't here last night, I just want to briefly reintroduce myself. I'm Heather Nelson. I am um, a... I grew up in South Carolina, but now we live in Virginia with my husband, who's a pastor at our church, and our twin daughters, who are five years old. Lucia and Alethea are their names. Lucia means light, Alethea means truth. So I figured, hey, if the world could have a little more light and truth through them, that is our prayer for them, that they would be, um, yeah, just a picture of the grace of Jesus as they grow up. So it's a joy, a delight to be with all of you ladies. I've been so blessed by worshiping with you last night, this morning, by praying with you, by getting to know a few of you, talking to you. I would love, really welcome the opportunity. You know, find me in between sessions if I'm wandering around looking lost. Um, Come up, introduce yourself. Would love to just know a little bit of your story and um, just to put... Yeah, names and stories to the women I'm talking with. It's such a joy and a delight. Last night, we started by talking about the difference between slavery and freedom. We talked about how shame enslaves us and how the Spirit sets us free. And Galatians 5, 1, this is the promise that we are going for this weekend, that we are soaking in, that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We want to stand firm and not be burdened by a yoke of slavery. We are enslaved to whatever it is that controls us, whether it's an addiction, whether it's people-pleasing, whether it's perfectionism, whether it's living for the wrong kind of love and approval, all of these things can enslave us, and the Spirit came to set us free. 2 Corinthians 3.17 is another beautiful promise that we're soaking in. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And where God's people are gathered together, the Spirit is there. And so there is freedom this weekend. And my prayer and our prayer is that you will walk out of here tonight feeling even a tiny bit more free than you walked in. So, just gonna briefly talk about uh, define shame again. Um, shame is hard to wrap our minds around and our, even our words around because it's the hidden chameleon kind of blends into the surroundings. But essentially what I said is that shame is any sense of inadequacy and any, anything that makes you want to hide in relationship. Um, it can be something that was done to you, like a horrific abuse, some sort of um, yeah, abuse of any type, really, verbal, physical, emotional. Um, it can be something in your past, a sin that you did, that you feel like it's too shameful to bring to the cross, to talk about with other people. You feel like it haunts you, part of your story. Um, shame can be... Um, kind of this more pervasive sense of I'm never quite good enough and so I have to always keep striving, striving, striving and shame never lets you off the hook. It's always there waiting when you're about to do something creative, courageous, bold, truth-telling, vulnerable. Shame wants to say, be quiet. He wants to silence you. And so to get rid of shame, we speak about it and we join with others in community. Underneath all that is this foundation of being free and unashamed before God because there's no way 
that you can walk out of your shame with other people unless you know that you have a secure, loving, heavenly Father who delights in you and before whom you are free and unashamed. So this morning, that is what we're focusing on, is this aspect of being free and unashamed before God. So I'm gonna start by telling you a story. My twin daughters love dressing up, as most five-year-olds do, and their favorite thing to do when we have dinner guests over is to parade up, they go upstairs and they choose their favorite gowns out of their dress-ups. Usually it's Cinderella, Elsa, Anna, you get the picture. Um, They come back downstairs and they say, Mommy, Daddy, turn on the music, we wanna dance. And they dance in front of our guests that maybe they've just met. And um, it's hilarious and I love it. And I'm like, yay, good job, girls. But how different is that from probably those of you who have teenagers? Would your teenage daughters ever be like, hey, we wanna put on a show for your dinner guests. We're gonna go get dressed up, turn on the music. You know what's happened? Shame has come into the picture. And it does for each of us. Shame is part of our development, unfortunately, because we live in this fallen world. But let's go back to that picture. I want you to kind of hold in your mind the picture of these two girls, or maybe it's one, dancing freely as four and five-year-olds. The reason they're so free is because they know that they're loved. They know that we love them. They know that they're secure in our love. Know our love is far from perfect. Um, I'll be the first to tell you that. But they do know that they are loved and secure and that we're gonna be smiling and cheering for them. And because they know the security of our love, that allows them to be free and unashamed. As they grow older, they're gonna start looking around and our love won't be enough for them. And they're gonna start looking to the people around them and they already have in small ways. They, I get the mean girl report after preschool every day of so-and-so is inviting us to a birthday party. Nope, so-and-so is not inviting us to a birthday party. And that's the equivalent of being liked or unliked on Facebook for them. That's a preschool version of Facebook, is who's getting invited to the, to the birthday party. So already I see this creeping in and I wish I could just protect them from it. You know, I wish I could just say, hey, just keep looking at me and your dad because we love you and we are gonna delight in you your whole entire life. And I want that to be enough for you. And I want that to be a picture of God's love for you. I want us to be able to reflect that to you. But as much as I long for that, I know that their story will probably be similar to mine and similar to yours, which is, for me, um, I I had have very loving parents who raised me to love Jesus, raised me in the love of Christ, and yet still, they couldn't protect me from the wounds of peers in middle school and high school. And um, it was, middle school and high school is just awful. I mean, it was for me, in terms of the social rejection, in terms of looking for love and acceptance in all the wrong places, and feeling shamed and unworthy and not enough. And, Yet, God in his beautiful grace and redemption has brought me to a place of freedom and a place where I'm more free of shame because of sinking into the love of Christ that is always there, it is always deeper, there's always more to be discovered. And this morning, that's who we're gonna look at. I want you to try to really look at Jesus this morning and to look at God 
because I am confident that if you're able to see him, you see, you're going to see someone who's smiling at you, who's delighting over you, who's singing over you because of Christ. So, but there's so many things that get in the way, aren't there? So many things that get in the way of the confidence we're supposed to have. Ephesians 3.12 is this promise of confidence. It says, in him and through faith in him, talking about Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So again, picture delighted child dancing in the living room. 1 John 3.28 also reiterates this. And now little children, so little children, abide in him, meaning abide in Jesus, abide in his love for you, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So three things that get in the way, though. Number one is our sin, the sin and the guilt that's behind the shame. We're gonna kind of talk about that a bit more this morning. And confession. So confession is provided for our guilt. That's number one. Number two, we don't believe that we're clothed with beauty. And number three, we don't believe that we're good enough. Perfectionism haunts us. So first we're gonna talk about confession, then we're gonna talk about being clothed with beauty, and third, we're gonna talk about being freed from perfectionism. So first of all, confession and repentance. I'm gonna tell you a story. It's about a Christian leader who was very successful. He was very looked up to by everyone that he led. And he um, was, had a very strong relationship with God, was known for that, for his relationship with God. Um, but he had a major, major fall. He fell into adultery and committed an affair, um, had an affair, and then the woman got pregnant, and so to try to cover it up, he arranged for the murder of this woman's, of this woman's um, husband. And the worst part of it is that he didn't even think a thing of it. He went on his merry way, thinking, not realizing that he had, what he had done until he was confronted. And this is the story of King David, a man after God's own heart. And it's his worst moment of shame, um, his worst moment of sin. And in the beauty of God's providence, he brought Nathan, the prophet, to confront David because up until that point, we have no indication that David was at all remorseful, which is shocking, isn't it? Um, for such a blatant sin of such a great degree, um, we see no sign of remorse until he's confronted. And in that moment, when Nathan says, you are the man, David, David falls to his face and he pins the words of Psalm 51. So no matter what it is that you feel the most shame about, the sin in your, your life, we're not talking about sin against you, but I'm talking about your own sin, what you have done against God, that's against his holy law, whatever that is, no matter how bad it is, start with Psalm 51. And so let's turn there, and we're gonna look at what David says in his moment of deepest shame, of greatest, most public sin. And if we remember, when Jesus is, uh, when Jesus is being introduced in Matthew, 
this incident in David's life is actually highlighted in Jesus' genealogy in his family tree because he refers to Solomon's mom, Bathsheba, as she's called the wife of Uriah, even though she was um, also the father of David's child. So uh, God is not one to hide what's been done, but he is one to redeem it and to say you're not defined by your worst sin. So Psalm 51, we're gonna read through this and we'll start in verse one. I want you to be listening for how David addresses God and what, he, um, what he's sinking into, what he's believing about God here. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words, and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You, would not, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And that's where we're gonna end for this morning. Um, what, is he, what do you see King David appealing to? Over and over and over again, it's God's steadfast love. It's God's mercy. And on what basis? David doesn't have the benefit of looking back at the cross like we can. He's looking forward to it in faith. And he is seeing that even though his actions are worthy of death by the Hebrew law, he should have been stoned. He's saying, God, preserve me. Not because I'm doing penance, not because I'm trying to make it right, but because you're holy and merciful, preserve me. And we know that God does, that he preserves his life on the basis of the future payment for David's sins. Now as we come, we have even more confidence than David because we get to look back to Jesus, to his death and his resurrection on our behalf. And the guilt that weighs you down that's underneath the shame, guilt is I did something bad, shame is I am bad, there's a difference there. So the guilt of I did something bad, I sinned, that is taken away at the cross. The shame that's left 
that gets to be covered by Jesus too. Because if you really believe that your sin is gone, that it's, you have been made clean and new, that begins to speak back to this identity, feelings issue, that's shame. And to, it begins to say, okay, if God can take your sin away, then surely he can also take your shame away. Shame gets in the way of us believing our forgiveness when it's a matter of shame because of a sin that we've done. So we'll go back to the example that I gave last night of me being sinfully angry with my children, me yelling at them, losing it, and going back and asking for their forgiveness, but also coming before God and saying, God, forgive me of this sin. And really having to walk away, faith for me is walking away and believing that I am forgiven, that it's a clean slate, that each day, each moment, there's new mercies, and that God's not looking at me going, oh, there she goes again, she's doing it again, but he really has forgiven each time that I've sinned. And so it begins to take away, lessen the impact of the shame that wants to say, you're never gonna be good enough, you're always gonna sin in this way. Believing my forgiveness of the sin that I've committed, it begins to strip shame of its power. So that's where we start, confession and repentance. And repentance, when I say that, I mean turning away. When I'm, when I'm confessing my sin of my anger with my children or my husband, confessing that to God, and then I'm talking to my husband and children about it, it's not me um, going right back and being like, well, I'm just gonna get angry again. Um, it's me saying, okay, Lord, what do I need to do <laughs> to turn away from this sin? What is it that's, that's triggering the anger? What is it in my heart that I want more than I want God? So what is it in my heart that I want more than I want God right now? And Lord, let me believe that you're enough. Let me believe that you really can give me the power to change and let me walk in faith. So confession and repentance is where we begin. Um, because if God can forgive the guilt of our sin and a sin that's as bad as David's, you know, then I'm mean, like pretty sure there's not any murderers sitting around in this audience. Um, but if God can forgive David, then surely he can also forgive you. And surely he can also forgive me. And so as we begin to believe that, there begins to be a bit more freedom, a bit of the lessening of shame and of guilt as we begin to walk forward. So that's one area. But then you're walking forward, you're you know, clothed and you're trying to believe this forgiveness. You have a clean slate, but with shame, it somehow like never quite feels like enough. Like there's always something more you need to do, you need to add, you're never quite good enough. And we start comparing God's, like God's acceptance of us and his love for us we don't really believe that's enough. And so we try to clothe ourselves with all these other things. And this brings us to our second point, which is as women, it's this chasing after beauty. We don't believe that we're clothed with beauty. We don't believe we're beautiful. So this becomes a really big hindrance in our relationship with God. So we feel like the, the lie of shame related to beauty is that you're not that you're not beautiful, that there's more you have to do or be or add in order to be beautiful. I want you to think about the most beautiful artwork you've ever seen. So, um, or maybe it was a landscape, maybe it's a sunset or a sunrise, an ocean, majestic mountains. 
how would you, um, a work of art in an art museum, what are adjectives that you would use to describe this work of art? And just throw them out. Breathtaking. Breathtaking, okay. What else? Peaceful. Stunning. What was that? Spectacular. Gorgeous. Oh, I heard it. inspirational. Design. Creative. Awesome. Great, just the way it is. And are these words that you would use to describe yourself? <laughs> we all laugh, right? But you know what? You're made by a creator who made the art that you admire. Like you and I are the breathtaking art of God. We are stamped with his image. Shame is what keeps you from believing that. Shame wants to say, yeah, you're not, you're not good enough. You're not beautiful enough. I want us to show a video in a moment that really exposes, like there's so many, there's so much body shaming that happens for us as women. I was talking this morning with a group of women at our table and this one woman was recalling just, she remembers like early and earlier in her life, just the feeling of like walking by a group of men who were catcalling, and she said, I just wanted to crawl and hide under a rock. And like, it, it's like that for us as women so early, is that our bodies become something that we, of which we feel ashamed. Whether we feel like we're too beautiful or not beautiful enough, I don't think I've met any woman who feels like they're too beautiful, but, um, but no matter, there's all this shame that's attached to our bodies and to our beauty. So this video is a great, um, I think it just exposes the source of that and then we're gonna talk about what Christ speaks into this. So go ahead. Painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety. Shame is something we've all felt before. For example, you feel ashamed after you lash out at your best friend or after caught lying to your parents. Without shame, you wouldn't feel sorry for your actions, and you would continue acting wrongly. However, we also tend to shame those who don't look or act the way we want or expect them to, even if they didn't necessarily do anything wrong. The media is particularly susceptible to do this. We shame people for not having the perfect body, the perfect face, the perfect personality. You get the idea. Advertisers illustrate the ideal woman or man Criticizing women's bodies is unfortunately a common occurrence in today's society. Girls wear too much or too little makeup, or they wear overly revealing clothing, or they cover up too much. But one of the worst offenses is looking fat.
obsessed over fat. We scrutinize our diets, buy slim jeans, and continuously strive to look like the impossibly thin models in the advertisements. We make fun of fat people in movies, TV shows, and comics. Fat people are discriminated against in the workplace, the courts, and even the hospital. With so much emphasis on appearance in our culture and media, shaming those who don't fit the ideal body inevitably leads to self-esteem and confidence issues, as well as increased rates of mental illness, such as anxiety, depression, and eating disorders. So in that, we see the source of so much of our body shame as women. You can't can't grow up in our world and not be bombarded by these advertisements that are not so subtle reminders that we're never enough, that we need something more. And that's shame. Shame always says you're lacking. What Jesus speaks over you and I, though, is something quite different. Psalm 139. You can turn there, and we have another video that, um, another video that's, that's, puts to words um, and with beautiful images this psalm. And if shame wins, we will be enslaved to chasing beauty our entire lives. And guess what? That's not freedom. So where does freedom come from? It has to be a different voice and a different message that we're tuning into. And King David has something else to teach us about this. So let's go. Um, to Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You have me in, behind, and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens,
That is your beauty, women. That are your God's thoughts of you outnumber the grains of sand. That you are beautifully and wonderfully made. And that you are known through and through and called beautiful from the inside out. So how can we actually make that a reality in our lives? That's what we need to bask in, is the beauty of God's word. We need to be speaking this over each other and to each other and singing this in worship, what we've been doing this morning, singing the truth about God, and the truth about our beauty because of Christ, that we are made beautifully and wonderfully, that our bodies are meant to lead us to worship, not to stand in the way of it. But we hold them up, if you're like me, we hold them up to these airbrush standards. And we say, oh, it's not, it's, it's not enough, I need more makeup, I need more better clothes, I need to lose more weight, I need to go to the gym more. Um, and what God says is no. You are beautiful today, as you are, who you are. And the more you believe this, the more beautiful you're going to become. Because true beauty that God sees and that God grows in you is from the inside out, not from the outside in. So we fight the lies by acting as if you believe you're beautiful. If you believed you were beautiful, what would change? Might be a good question to talk about with a friend. If you really believed that you were beautiful, what would change? Thank God for your beauty, for your body. Even if that feels fake or untrue, say, God, I want to begin to believe that I am beautiful in your sight. And so, Lord, help me to thank you for my body. Beauty is reflective, and true beauty comes as we reflect God's glory. Have you ever seen a bride who wasn't radiant? No, every bride is beautiful. And that's because there's a smiling bridegroom who's standing at the end of the aisle, waiting for this bride to come to him. And she knows on that day, she knows she is loved through and through. And Jesus calls us his bridegroom. Revelation talks about 21, Revelation 21, um, talks about that we are the bride of Christ. So we are clothed with beauty, not only the beauty of being made in God's image, his artwork, but then because of being joined by faith with Christ, we are his bridegroom. I mean, we, he is our bridegroom and we are his bride. And so we reflect the beauty of the one who loves us. And he loves you through and through. And you are beautiful to him. This is who you really are. So keep that image in your mind. Come back to it. Talk about it. Pray about it until it's real until it seeps into your bones and chases out the shame of our culture. So confession, first way to get rid of shame is to confess the sin that's there. Secondly, to realize you are clothed with beauty because of Jesus and because you're made in God's image. And then third, we are freed from perfectionism. I find that most women, and men too, if we're being, if we're being honest, tend to get hung up either on the, sh the shame lie of I have to be beautiful to be loved or I have to be handsome or strong enough to be loved. Um, that's the beauty handsomeness lie that's there or the second area, which is I have to be perfect enough to be loved. And that's perfectionism. 
if um, the focus for being clothed with beauty is to look to Jesus and realize how beautiful you are because of him. The focus for being freed from perfectionism is to realize, to confess that we've been serving a God of perfection um, instead of our perfect God. And to realize that we have perfection, perfect righteousness and perfect performance because of Jesus Christ. The shame exchange is that he took all of our imperfect performance and gave us his perfect performance on our behalf. So when God calls up our righteousness record, he sees Jesus' 100% for our F. <laughs> or may, I mean, maybe some of you are better than me and you have a D. But really, in God's sight, we all fail. We all fall short. And so we've got to stop living as if our acceptance with God depends on how much we do or don't do. Colossians 3.3 says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about the exchange that God made Jesus to be sin for us so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. People who are, people like me, who are striving for perfectionism have a hard time resting. It's hard to ever know when you've done enough because you've never done enough if you're aiming for perfection. And this promise feels really foreign and, and beautiful too at the same time. In Hebrews 4, 9 through 10, um, talks about there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Perfectionism just strikes this at its core, <laughs> at its root, and says, nope, no rest for you. Um, it shows up if you struggle to turn in the imperfect project, if you work to the point of burnout instead of resting, if you find identity in what you do versus who you are, if it's hard for you to turn off the to-do list to be with the people around you. And the goal is always the next accomplishment, the next achievement. Well, once I get married or once I have kids or once I achieve this this promotion at work, or this position, or complete this project, or write this book, or this blog article, or whatever it is, once I do that, then I can rest, then I'm gonna feel okay. The truth is that the, the line keeps moving. It keeps moving, and you never rest, and you never arrive until you're at the point of total exhaustion. And this is my story. My story is being a pretty good girl on the outside, and trying hard to earn God's favor and feeling like occasionally I had it, um, which was so much self-deception there, um, but feeling like, yeah, I think I'm doing okay. Well, then I hit this, um, went to this discipleship program the summer between my um, freshman and sophomore year of college, and essentially the standards there were raised like this high. And so now, like, not only was, like, my 15-minute quiet time wasn't enough, I now needed to have an hour, I needed to witness to so many people a week, I needed to have a discipleship group. Like, I came away thinking, I've got to do more, I have to have more laws. And I, I pursued that really hard my sophomore year of college. And you know where it got me? Sleepless. Literally. Like, struggled with insomnia struggled with um, so much anxiety at the end of my sophomore year of college that I couldn't sleep. That's what kept me up at night, is this fear of, I don't think I've done enough, because you can never do enough to please God. 
Galatians 2 interrupted that big time that summer, the summer between my sophomore and junior year of college. God interrupted my trying to be good enough performance. And he said very clearly in Galatians 2, 20 through 21, I have been crucified, I read this, and it's Paul speaking to the Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. And this phrase really grabbed me. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, through my efforts, then Christ died for nothing. Me trying to achieve my righteousness was essentially saying, Christ died for nothing, I don't need your work on the cross, I've got it. And I didn't get it. I mean, it was exhausting me. It was completely taking everything I had. And so at that moment, grace began to flood in. And where there is grace, there is freedom and shame flees. And so as I was able to rest in God's performance for me, Christ's performance for me, there was so much freedom in my relationship with God, so much joy, because there's no joy in legalism. That's perfectionism, I hate to tell you that, but it's another form of legalism, trying to meet our standards or someone else's standards for us, instead of looking at Jesus, the one who says, you're in me, so well done, good and faithful servant. Come, enter into the joy of the master. It takes radical repentance and belief that Christ was perfect to live free like this, to rest, like the picture of Mary and Martha. Martha is busy, 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 serving, serving, serving. She comes and is like, Jesus, come on. Why don't you, uh, why don't you tell, tell Mary to help me? She's kind of trying to shame Mary into helping her. And instead, Jesus defends Mary. And Jesus says, she has chosen what's better. And that always brings me back to my knees of, okay, be, be versus do. Like, be with Jesus. That's where all of our service starts, is being with Jesus, sitting at his feet in worship and realizing you are loved, you are perfect, you are beautiful. And then we go out and we serve with freedom. Realize your limitations. If you're a perfectionist like me, you need to realize you have limitations and you need to talk about them. That's gonna be faith and repentance for you. It's, for me, it's really important for me to be telling my close friends and my husband, hey, I feel like I'm doing too much or I'm feeling really exhausted or I'm not sure I can do this. And in fact, I actually started a sabbatical in January from counseling because it was too much. I was counseling part-time, writing a book, parenting kids, trying to be a support to my husband, and none of it was really being done well. Um, and I reached the end, of my, the end of myself. And I fought that, but such freedom came in January when I finally was like, okay, I'm done, I'm on sabbatical, you know, for a few months, because I have got to reset my work, 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 do, do, do. And I'm not gonna tell you it's been easy. I've struggled. I've had days where I felt really unsure and depressed because I'm like, who am I without what I do? Well, okay, apparently I was finding a lot more worth in what I did than even I realized. So walking free of the shame of perfectionism takes creativity, takes rest, maybe doing something different, maybe not doing anything, saying no, 
and saying yes, saying no to what matters, I mean saying yes to what matters and no to what you can't do because it's outside of what your limits are. Change our audience. And that's kind of what's true in confession in clothed with beauty and with being freed from perfectionism. This is where we'll end to, to this morning is that you have to change your audience. Stop living for the people around you. Focus on Jesus, focus on God, realize his love for you. As someone who struggles with perfectionism, someone who struggles with believing I'm beautiful, this one's really hard for me. There were, there's many times where God just stops me in my tracks and it was a few years ago I was working with um, the critic. You probably know who she is or he is. We've all got them in our lives and nothing I did was good enough for her and I'd walked away from a meeting with her, was in my car and was just so frustrated because I'm like, why, I mean, this was my best and like she tore it to pieces, you know, and feeling, just beginning to feel that bitterness, that resentment, the failure, and God just spoke to me and said, you live before me. You live before me, Heather. I am your audience. I am your supervisor. I say, well done. So turn the volume down on the critic. Listen to me. Listen to my words over you. Zephaniah 3.17. Do you believe this? That the Lord your God is with you. That he is mighty to save. That he will rejoice over you with gladness. That he will quiet you by his love. And exult over you with loud singing. We want to give you the opportunity to respond to this this morning, and so Hannah's going to come up in a few minutes and um, sing this, uh, just this beautiful song called Unashamed. And so I want you, again, I want to just encourage you to, everyone else is out of the room, it's you and God. Do you believe that he's singing over you, that he has forgiven the guilt of your sin, that he has clothed you with beauty, and with perfection. There is nothing that remains for you to know freedom except to receive it, receive this gift of grace.